0: Hello and welcome to the Ventureforth podcast. I'm your host, Joe Mahavadivani. We'll be chatting with some of the most interesting founders, startups, and VCs about the experiences that led them to where they are today, what they're currently working on, as well as the journey ahead of them. On today's show, I'm very excited to welcome Sigi Chen, the new VP of growth at Postmates, the leading on-demand logistics provider after his most recent startup, Hey, was acquired. Hey was the maker of Heyday, an automated journal app, Stolen, the short-lived but incredibly viral Twitter hit, and famous as F, or famous.af, uh, Stolen's less controversial successor. Siki previously served as the GM at Zynga after an acquisition of his Facebook app startup Serious Business, maker of the ridiculously viral Friends for Sale, as well as stints at PowerSet, VO, and NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab. Despite going to UCSD together and sharing hundreds of good friends and business relationships and hearing about Siki's many successes and struggles over the years, we've only recently met in person and it was so great to finally put a face to the name it has got a fascinating story that I'm surprised hasn't been shared before, so I'm very excited to welcome Siki to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Jess. I'm really excited to be here.
0: <laughs> awesome. Uh, can you tell us how you got started and about your journey in tech leading up to your current role at Postmates?
1: Uh, sure, yeah. So when we met in college, uh, I was a part-time intern at uh, NASA JPL, and that's really how I got it my career started so was working on some machine vision work for the curiosity and uh, spirit and opportunity rovers so that was really really fun and when I graduated college I really wanted to get into something related to the web 2.0 phenomenon and I'm dating myself as 10 years ago right when that was a thing uh, so joined one of the few startups in San Diego called Vio, was there for six months down the website for two hours as an engineer so they made me a product manager <laughs> um, and that's how i got to doing that and yeah in between this is around 2006 i did my very first startup which no one knows about but it was a startup called fluid play and um what uh, i was trying to do is build itunes for the web so there was this client that you install on your desktop And it would index all the MP3s that you would have, like most people had at the time, on your hard drive. And then you can play it over a web browser anywhere you you go. So that didn't work out. I think it got like 30 users. (laughs) Uh, So I moved to San Francisco in 2007, joined PowerSet, met some really, really smart people. And right around the same time, the Facebook platform came out. So my second week there, I managed to hang out with some Y Combinator people who were and we were playing Diplomacy at someone's house together. And I thought, hey, you know, a game like this would actually be really interesting for a Facebook platform where the gameplay is social. It takes forever because it turns for like an hour long. So it's asynchronous. But I wasn't a good enough engineer to make a game like Diplomacy. So instead, I made a really, really simple game which is a version of Werewolf or Mafia for Facebook, and launched that. And it's one of the first big games I've made. It was 100,000 users. And I wasn't smart enough to build a real-time chat either. So because the gameplay involved people talking to people and people accusing each other of being Werewolf or Mafia, you had to refresh the page to uh, get uh, the, the latest conversation from the chat every time. So... I ended up putting some ads on there and there was like a couple of million page views in early days of Facebook. I was like three thousand bucks a day in income. Wow. So that was fun. And I was still working at PowerSet because uh I just really enjoyed working there. And um I found my co-founder who also worked at PowerSet, Alex, and uh he got wind of what I was doing and people were making fun of me at work. They were calling me the FB Mills guy for FB Millionaire, and um he wanted to get in on it, so we decided to work together on a game called Friends for Sale. And the idea behind that game was, well, if Facebook is a social graph, Friends for Sale puts a market economy on top of the social graph. It puts a value between these relationships through scarcity, right? So you can't you can't have a thousand people be your friend. You only have one at a time. And uh, how badly you want to be someone's friend's friend determines the market value of that relationship. And so we thought it was a cool, interesting new social network concept, but people played it as a game, and that blew up. It was the second largest game on Facebook for a while. Actually, second largest app on the Facebook platform for a while. And um, we left our jobs at PowerSet, and VCs came calling, and uh, we raised some money, grew that company about 40 people. It was profitable, but... Uh, a lot of platform changes came in and we weren't, just weren't growing as fast or successfully as our uh, biggest competitor, Zynga. And in 2010, uh, we soldered that company to Zynga where I joined Zynga. At Zynga, I ran a studio as head of product and then I was uh, head of product for the company through uh, founding a team called Central Product Management which oversaw and set the standards for product manager across all the rest of the company. So that was my first year. And then my second year at Zynga, I met my girlfriend, who eventually became my wife at GDC, and she moved to China. And uh, I also moved to China, where I ran the Beijing studio at China, where we worked with Tencent to get all of our Facebook games on their platform. So I was there for two years. And in 2012, started Hey, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. Ran that for four years, and now I'm at Postmates. So, that's
0: the full story of my early career. Awesome. Actually, one thing I kind of want to dig into, which seemed kind of interesting, I, I was actually aware of uh, Liquid Play, I believe, if I remember the name correctly. Fluid Play. Fluid Play, that's what it was. You know, back in the day, uh, I think uh, our our friend Stephen had mentioned it. And I also read that you were in Y Combinator briefly. Was that the company that you were accepted in with? No. So, um... With Y Combinator, it was with a different team. This team was
1: called uh, – what was it called? I don't <laughs> remember what it was called. Uh, geez, uh, yeah, I think eventually became Yum Dots, but at the time it was a different company name. But um, uh, no, I had a different set of co-founders that uh, I applied to Y Combinator with working on something completely different, which was an app, Facebook app that makes apps. Um, whereas Alex and I, we built Friends for together and Alex didn't really want to join Y Combinator because by the time we got into Y Combinator, it was uh, that thing was also making $3,000 a day.
0: Wow.
1: He didn't see a point to join EYC. And I'm a big Paul Graham fanboy, so I, I just wanted them to merge and uh, we couldn't work out. We couldn't get it to work.
0: Definitely. And there was a, a Hacker News thread sort of about this, you know, with some back and forth and and some unpleasantries. Have you been able to repair that relationship with Paul?
1: Yeah. I mean, I saw Paul about two or three years ago at the SV Angel CEO Summit. And uh, it was one of those things where I was young and I just kind of left. Talk, I did talk to my co-founders and were fine with it, but I really just never <laughs> talked to Paul about it. I kind of just stopped showing up. So I know that uh, for a time they weren't very happy with it, and I think a lot of it is definitely on me. But you know, I apologized to Paul when I saw him, and he was nice enough to be you know super surprised by it. He's like, "Oh, you're still upset." <laughs> you know, I thought it was really odd that it was, and you know, Jessica Livingston was also there, and uh, he's like, "You know what? You know if you're so upset about it, because I told him I was upset like on a weekly basis and I felt bad about it." And he's like, wh- why don't we just give you a hug? Because, you know, I bet that will make you feel better. I was like, yeah, that would make me feel better. So we hugged it out and it was great. And so, yeah, That's
0: I, hope, fantastic.
1: yeah I hope he's not as upset anymore, but it's totally on me. And it's something that definitely weighed on my mind for a number of years.
0: Right on. And you mentioned that you were at Zynga for a few years and actually specifically during some, some of the hard times uh, pre, during and post IPO. Why were things seemingly troubled at, at Zynga during that time?
1: Well, the things that uh, worked before stopped working, right? I mean, it's it's pretty obvious inside and outside, right? Like, Zynga is an intensely, intensely data-driven company, and intensely aggressive company, right? It is the most aggressive at finding out what works and being able to leverage it in a very quick way. So it is a company that I would describe as culturally tuned perfectly for what the early Facebook platform offered, which was really, really amazing distribution channels if you're willing to be aggressive enough. And there was nobody more aggressive than Zynga. But at some point, that changed, right? Two things changed. One is, the Facebook platform no longer used the, uh, the, the smoothness of the power of their distribution channels as the main draw for the platform. And two... Mobile became a thing,
0: hmm.
1: right? And on both of those counts, it worked against what Zynga was really, really good at, which was very, very strong distribution management. What, what started to matter a lot more is really fun gameplay and word of mouth virality. And these things are really not part of the Zynga's founding culture, and that started to hit them, right? And you know, when you when your culture has driven you to such high levels of success, when it was worth like a couple billion dollars. It still is, but you know, many more billions of dollars. It's really hard to change that culture to adjust for a new macro marketplace. So that's ultimately what happened. All these changes caught up to Zynga mm. right around the IPO.
0: After leaving Zynga, you raised a, a good amount of money to build hay an automatic journaling product one thing that did stick out though is i remember you saying that you never charge for the product can you tell us about your vision for that company and and ultimately i guess why it didn't work
1: yeah um i don't remember that exact conversation i think at some point shortly after launch i did want to charge a product for the product so that might have been earlier at some point I might have changed my mind on that but the vision for the company was this right this is founded in early 2012 so instagram sort of just got started Facebook was still in the middle of really being good at mobile. And the observation around these social products that have worked historically is people share to uh, remember, right? Like you don't share like the uninteresting memories or the mundane memories. Like you share to curate a persona. And on Instagram especially, right? And on Facebook still today, that's kind of how you use it. And we thought that, you know, what's being lost and not really being stored is all of the normal memories, right? The mundane day to day memories that you wouldn't share because you don't want other people to feel like you're oversharing. So the thinking is what if we could create a private platform for just your memories and it's just for yourself and you can still share it. We make it super easy for you to share just the good stuff, but you will use this as your uh, memory life platform of choice because unlike Facebook or Instagram, it has everything. And from those, you can choose to select memories that you do want to be public. So that was a vision for what we were trying to build.
0: And then ultimately, I guess you spun it down due to lack of product market fit or running out of money or what was the... uh... Yeah, I mean, it became super expensive and we just
1: couldn't afford to run it any longer. We did run it for as long as we can pretty much uh, we ran it for like a month or two, even after we uh, were acquired. But yeah, uh, the product strategy for this was, hey, let's start with a private by default product first. And then eventually we can add a social layer to it where, you know, if we get enough penetration, then we can attack when you're with your friends. We're also using Heyday and then create group memories around the times when you're actually together and then public memories for the things that you want to share with everyone the problem with that strategy is and 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 to back up a little bit the reason why we went that strategy first place is thinking that taking away from zynga where we were really really good at distribution but retention wasn't there right like and that's true of any game not just a zynga game what we overreacted to is we wanted to build something like a Dropbox where you use it and you stay a subscriber forever, right? So we wanted to be a retention first company. And we felt that a private by default approach was the best way to do that, where we can build a product that is for your you, but you will at least use it forever, even if you don't tell your friends about it. And eventually we'll build into social access later. And when we executed our strategy, we found two things. One is, Retention was pretty good, but still not as good as a real social app because you don't get the same endorphin boost as when you get a new like or a bunch of notifications on Facebook that you do when you just have went to a bunch of stuff and you see new memories in your heyday. So that was one problem. The second problem is when we eventually started on the social features, people didn't like it mm. because it's really, really hard to pivot a private by default product into something social at all. And so ultimately, the combination of those two things made it really difficult for us to improve engagement and have any distribution channels at all.
0: Right. And then so I guess, I don't know if I'd call it a pivot necessarily, but uh, the product that came out concurrent to Hay was stolen. And you got a knack for building some wildly viral products, uh, Friends for Sale, Stolen, Famous. Stolen's got some really interesting background and stories around it that I was hoping you might be able to share. And it really came off sort of as like a, like a Friends for Sale 2.0 to me. Yeah, so
1: that was always a plan. We raised a lot of money for Hay. And we also felt that, you know what? We're going to try to build this passion project. And Hay really was a passion project of ours, right? And if it doesn't work... We at least we had this bullet in our back pocket where we could build friends or sale in a modern way on mobile, maybe for Twitter, and we fired that bullet. So that's uh, how we ended up building it about a year before um, Hay ended, and it took us six months to get it out. We iterated on it a lot, and it was a fairly simple idea. Yeah, we started with the address book as a social graph. We're like, this is not interesting. Nobody wants to like. You know, like invest and steal Comcast support, right? (laughs) People want to invest and steal Justin Bieber. And so we integrated Twitter. That's when it really started working. And uh, we launched it on New Year's Eve of 2015. So January 1st, 2016 is when we started getting on Product Hunt. And uh, the first day it had 500 users, then 5,000 the next day, and then 50,000 the day after that.
0: Holy crap. Uh,
1: uh, it was, and it was invite only, by the way. <laughs> That's the other thing. Like we, were, it, the virality was actually highly limited, and it got to a point, a couple of days in, I think a week in, where people were trying to sell our invite codes on eBay, and they were going for thirty dollars each. It was wow. crazy, and the the retention was insane too. Like I've n- never seen anything like it. Like Cityville back in the day. Zynga's biggest game had like seventy percent day one retention, and that was like unheard of and amazing. Stolen had over ninety percent day one retention Jeez. it was uh and day seven was like seventy. it was just off the walls metrics I've never seen before, and I think our k factor at one point was like a seven in forty eight hours, so it was a <laughs> The core metrics was, was looking incredibly good. It was making a dollar per DAU per day, um, so massive amounts of money, and uh, people loved it. So it was growing. We were getting calls from celebrities who were loving it or trying to partner with us. Lincoln Park, Jerome Jar, and uh, then things started turning. So uh, we start. People started getting some bad tweets about how it's horrifying that. You can be stolen on this game on Twitter. Harassment on Twitter was um, a big theme in the news uh, during that time, and still kind of is. And so also had a bad interview, and then that started snowballing, and eventually a congresswoman wrote an open letter to Tim Cook and Jack Dorsey, asking us to be taken off this platform. And we eventually got pulled from the platform it's pretty much what happened and we were trying to get on back online for the next couple of months trying to fix the game
0: interesting and then so that became famous ultimately yeah that became famous and so famous uh, i guess it was almost a reskin of stolen but why didn't that work as well or had had the damage been done from from um, stolen?
1: yeah so you know i think a lot of Of a game has to do with the theme and the content of the game, right? I think it ultimately determines the meaning of the game. And so, what people were offended by was this idea of stealing, right? There's Mm -hmm. this this notion of like I have power over you, like I own you, which is like definitely not a politically correct and acceptable like right, right. So, you know, I think that's what people were were offended by. And what we were trying to do is like, okay, how can we change the message around that right the meaning behind the game and so what we did is uh, we changed the currency into hearts right so instead of like it's about stealing it's about showing people that i'm a big fan that i love you as a fan and i am therefore competing to be your number one fan right and that's that was a that was a message kind of game so it's completely different from oh i own this person or i have power views like actually like I'm trying to be your number one fan. And so we made that argument, and that was the design intention behind it. And ultimately, that was also the gameplay. That was what people were trying to do when they were stealing Justin Bieber's original game. So we launched it, and the problem was we were able to launch on Android first, then we launched a web version. And the addition of the combination of all these things plus the theming made it so that the virality just wasn't there. Like, it wasn't as interesting of a message to people, so people didn't pick it up. Um, it was also the second time we built it. It was also Android and web only for a time. And so the combination of all these things made it kind of a, a lot less successful. I mean, we still got a couple hundred thousand, but it just wasn't enough.
0: I see. And then, so at what point did you establish this Postmates relationship?
1: So I've been a in Postmates for a really long time. Right. So I think I was in their beta, I was mm. probably under a couple hundred customers. And it, it was just magic. Like it enabled a new superpower for humans that it wasn't possible before. Uh, I'm a big fan of Costco hot dogs. And I distinctly remember using Postmates for the first time and getting a hot dog from Costco and Costco hot dogs are a buck 50, but and it costs 15 bucks for delivery. So it's expensive, but you know, before Postmates, I could not get a Costco hot dog without leaving my house. Right? And, like, that was just magic. It was like, oh, I, now I can get anything from anywhere in my city delivered to me. So I was using it when right when Hay started. So Hay and uh, Postmates is around the same age. And... I remember using it when Bastion was still doing support over Twitter, right? So he would he actually texted me directly asking me how the delivery went, comped the delivery when I gave votes as Jimmy. It was it was awesome, and we also share investors. So Spark Capital was on our board and were our investors. Oh, and actually they weren't on our board, but they were uh, our seed investors and also Series A investors, and uh, they all were also investors in postmates and the partner in i've known for a really really long time because we were in social gaming together and we worked together at zynga so around may when we had about a month of cash left at the bank i reached out to Nabil i was like hey do you think anyone might be interested in our team uh he immediately connected with bastion who uh you know we're, we knew we knew each other before uh we met with bastion and sean who are the two co-founders of the three at postmates and uh we really hit it off, you know. We were talking a number of companies, but when I got back to the team and we we're talking about what's going to happen, obviously they knew we were really transparent. They knew we were talking to a number of people, and I was like, "Hey, I know it's kind of strange, but I actually think Postmates might be the better fit, the best fit for us." And they all felt it was kind of odd, right? Because like you know, the stuff that we made and Postmates, like Postmates feels like a really operational intensive company. But I was like, "Hey, you know, we're going to go in and we're going to." have everyone meet the whole team at Postmates. And once they got there uh, and they met everybody, they felt the same as I did, right? Compared to everyone else we talked to, which felt like, you know, these are kind of our people. Like we share similar values, similar culture. And uh, what's interesting is actually super interesting. In a month, there's going to be more people working at Postmates from heyday than there was when we got acquired. How so interesting. How does that work? Because people who used to work at Hay who left before the acquisition <laughs> are interviewing and have gotten offers at Postmates. And, you know, most of, like, just, just about everyone except for, like, I think one person from the original acquisition is still there. And we have multiple people interviewing who are getting offers. Uh, and so we're going to have more people working from the, my old company at Postmates a year in. Than we did when we a year ago.
0: That's fantastic.
1: Uh, Yeah, it's it's one of the unusual, really good acquisition stories, right? It's so good that people who used to work with a team now want to go to the company to work with the team again.
0: Mm Definitely. So so now at Postmates, you're the VP of growth. And by the way, this seems like a talent that seems to come naturally in the Chen family, being that your cousin is the venerable Andrew Chen who's at Uber now. I don't know if many people know that, but uh now the now the cat is out of the bag. Um so how have you applied your experiences and successes with growing social gaming products to growth at Postmates?
1: Yeah, I mean it's comes down to making numbers go up and to the right. <laughs> and using the channels available to you and optimizing. So, you know, it's, it's kind of odd, right? Like when this growth hacking thing became a thing, um, I never thought of myself as a growth person. But it's kind of just a skill set that you need to make a product uh, on a social platform like Facebook successful, right? So um, I feel like I kind of like ran into it by accident. But yeah, it's really similar skill set in that you need to be uh, data-informed and creative and iterative and have really good data so that you can improve it. I, I feel like, I don't know, it's odd for me to talk about growth because I really feel like it's really not that complicated. It's literally arithmetic and having a pretty straightforward process to improve your numbers. So it's, it seems not just universally applicable beyond gaming, but it seems like a skill set that is just good product management.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know that that's something that a lot of founders from really uh, any background struggle with, but it's interesting to hear that you say it's sort of easy or, or maybe it's it is that it comes naturally to you. But yeah, I mean, I think it's such an amazing superpower to be able to to be able to do that. And obviously the the valuable one, right? Like if you can grow a business like that is, you know, at a certain stage like the most important thing
1: Yeah. It turns out, uh, it's a valuable skill, (laughs) but you know, it's, it's only a valuable skill in in, in some context, right? Like it's actually not that valuable skill in a true startup situation when you're a founder. I think that was sort of one of the things that went wrong with Hey, right? Because, um, I did feel that I was good at growth and I feel that I'm good at growth now, but you know, when we started Hey, we're like, Hey, you know what? Like, What's our growth strategy? Come on, like we worked at Zynga, really good growth people. Of course we got a growth strategy, of course we're gonna figure it out, right? But you can't just bootstrap a growth strategy onto something that doesn't have product market fit, right? Like the skill set is incredibly valuable at a Postmates where we have really strong product market fit, very, very clear product market fit. But the the skill set you need to get to product market fit and the skill set to you need to grow something that has product market fit to scale. Are completely different, right, and uh, it was easy to fool ourselves into thinking that wouldn't have been a problem in our my last company
0: so it's the difference between going from like zero to one and and one to ten exactly yeah, got it um, and so you are also uh, an active angel investor. What do you look for in an early stage angel opportunity, and what was the last deal you said yes to and why so my initial thesis was to look at look
1: for people who were really good at pivoting, um, and I kind of got this from uh, one of my good friends, uh, two of my good friends, Ali and Murdy. They founded a company called Peanut Labs, which uh, I think was like three or four pivots in, and became Peanut Labs, um, it's still a successful company. And so when they left that company to start a startup, I immediately, of course, invested because I figured that you know when you invest in somebody like that, you're you're getting like five investments for the price of one. Because you knew that they're going to pivot a ton. So, what I initially invested in was a luxury car rental company. It was zip cars, but with Lambos, right? Um, <laughs> it was called High Gear. And they got it off the ground, and then they ran it for a while. And then there was a tech TechCrunch story about how this gang uh, started stealing their cars. and They had to shut it down.
0: I read that, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so... Then they pivoted into, well, like 12 different things over the next couple of years. And uh, they wrote a great series of Medium articles about this, about their 12 or so pivots, or I think it was 12 or 20 pivots (laughs) over the couple of years and all the things they tried. And so, you know, at some point, uh, and I was following up, I think they had a Slack competitor, they had a browser toolbar thing, they had... Uh, an email read, unread tracker that you can use to send emails and see if people read your email or not on Gmail. Uh, That's just the ones I remember. And at some point, a couple of years into that investment, they told me that uh, they bought an esports team called Vulcan, which was a champion uh, League of Legends team. And at that point, I was like, I have no idea what (laughs) I invest in. I definitely don't go around and invest in champion esports Teams, so I was like, okay, whatever. Uh, they're still around, and everything they do, they tried to like make money from, and so they had a like a, a, something like a million dollars in a bank for like years. <laughs> so I was really hands-off shareholder, and um, but you know, a couple of years in, they're pivoting and pivoting, and at some point, I kind of just wrote them off for dead, right? Mm-hmm. Like what's you what you do with investments where you don't hear from, right? And then one day they emailed me and said, hey, we're about to raise a round. You've been an investor for the last four years or five years. Uh, We'd like to give you some liquidity. We can give you 4X on your money. I'm like, whoa, really? Okay. And then I asked, well, who's the investor? They're like Sequoia. I'm like, yeah, no, I'm not taking my money out. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, but what happened was the esports team got them into – uh, eSports fantasy daily draft type of a business, right? There's FanDuel and daily draft. And you can do the same thing for eSports. And, uh, that's what they were doing. And it was working really, really well. And of course, Aquoi wanted to invest and that deal got done. And now they're a medium sized startup and they pivoted again since then, of course. And now they're the largest, um, ser- uh, platform for, uh, Twitch game streamers. And they're still doing really, really well.
0: Oh, so, interesting.
1: It's a really fun story. I,
0: I love those guys. Yeah, definitely. I'm very bullish on, on esports taking over some of the uh, incumbent sports, particularly like, like baseball and a couple of these other things that are sort of aging, uh, not gracefully. So you jumped back and forth between employee to entrepreneur uh, and back throughout your career. Does this mean there may be another startup in your future? Um, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: I, I kind of swore it off for a couple of months after uh, Hay, which was just a really, really tough experience. You know, like serious business, like, you know, it wasn't huge. But you know, it was all in all a fairly smooth road, right? I mean, we were like profitable basically from day one. And so that and we had a you know, like a pretty decent exit to someone who felt we were valuable. Right. And so that was a much easier story than Hey. And so I was very, very burnt out and Hey was like twice as long as serious business. It was like more than, it was, uh, yeah, it was more than four years that we were always working there. It's like, you know, almost half a decade. Right. So yeah. the longest stint I've ever worked, worked at any one company, but I definitely swore it off. You know, we worked pretty hard at Postmates, but You know, compared to the daily stress of being responsible for a startup, it feels like a vacation. But yeah, I think I'm like less burned out now, so um, I'll never
0: say never. I'm not saying never anymore, at least. Right. Cool. And I have a couple of questions from a mutual friend of ours, (laughs) Stephen. What have you learned running your second startup that you wish you had knew building your first?
1: Huh. I don't know. I. I That's that's a hard one. I don't know that there was much. Like the first one was felt like overall a pretty smooth story. Like I feel like I learned a lot more from Postmates that were applicable to my first startup than my second startup. Because like with my first startup, it was relatively smooth. It could have gone better, but you know the things that I would need have needed to know and done to make it better, I really didn't learn from my second startup. Because my second startup was coming out of Zynga. Where you know I had a fairly successful like two years there and at, at a, and serious business, I felt like I was a pretty smart, dude, right? And you know when we were struggling, I just kept on plugging away at it because we raised a lot of money. So out of that lesson, it was more of a character building lesson. But I don't know that it was like that applicable to my first startup where we had a market that was that had product market fit where you can build games on these platforms and make money coming away out of Zynga and coming out of Postmates, the kind of aggressiveness that you need and, uh, the speed at which you need to execute, um, is something that I would have put into my first company and the outcome would have been a lot better, but that's not really something I got from my second company.
0: I see, and Stephen's second question, also by the way, founder of Glow, making some really cool VR stuff. Keep an yeah. eye out. <laughs> Shout and out to Stephen. I think. Yeah, <laughs> um, you started both Hey and serious business with the same co-founder. What Stephen would like to know is what's important when looking for a co-founder, because I think uh, he's largely worked alone.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You want? I think one of the m- more important things is you. You want complementary, non-overlapping skill sets. I think that's super important. Alex and I, right, we worked really well together in our first company when our skill set didn't overlap. He was CTO and I was CEO, right? So I was like, I made all the calls on product, right? But when we joined Zynga, we both became product people. And the partnership was a lot less successful because we were both product people. We had, and he was so basically was head head of design, and I was a CEO. And he was head of product, too. And I was a CEO. And, you know, in an early stage startup, if your CEO is the product person, then you've got problems, right? And so that ended up you know, causing a lot of friction during the course of hanging and slowed us down quite a bit. Alex would not argue with that at all. We're still really good friends. And, yeah, so you want to make sure the skill sets overlap, that the things that you value or respect in terms of, like, what the other person can do is something that, you know that they do better than you and it's something that you that you do every day, right? For example, like I definitely are is probably a better fundraiser than Alex is, right? And Alex knows it. But that's not something you do every day. So that's one thing. And the other is um uh, do you share similar outlooks on the culture and uh, how a company works, right? So then there's like sort of the cultural test and so if you're culturally compatible and you have non complimentary complementary skill sets, then you have probably a really good fit for a co-founder.
0: Very cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm glad that uh, despite the Hay experience, I think it's really important for people not to leave these sorts of uh, endeavors in ill will. Yeah, he was the best friend of my wedding. So, oh, like, wonderful. Cool. Well, so that brings us to the quickfire round. Get to know a little bit more about, you know, non-startup-y things and a little bit more about yourself. So I'd like to start out with a very common question, but I'd like to know what your favorite book is. The book by Alan Watts. And and why is that? It was (laughs) mind-blowing. It
1: just, I I felt like it was a book that was written for me and how my brain works. Uh, It's a book about kind of Zen Buddhism. But in a way where it's like really, it addresses someone who's like super material, materialistic in terms of thinking, like an atheist type of person, right? Like I'm like a super atheist type of person, scientific. And so I thought, you know, all kinds of spirituality is kind of bullshit. And that's until I read that book in college, that sort of changed my thinking about how to think about those things so I was reading through it and just kind of like sort of systematically dismantled my assumptions about what I knew and how the world works and how the universe works. So it was, it's probably the most life changing book I've read.
0: If you could be the CEO of any company for one day, what company would that be and why? Facebook.
1: It's fun. I like their culture. They're doing a lot of interesting things. I like how they acquire companies. It seems like they're really, really good at picking up things that are just starting to work. So I think there's a lot to learn from from running that company for a day.
0: You may have the opportunity if Mark decides to run for president, so. Yeah, I'm going to angle for that. (laughs) What's one thing that you spend too much money on that you don't regret? Travel and food. Oh, interesting. Favorite place and uh, favorite restaurant? or favorite uh, yeah favorite
1: uh, oh easy A uh, favorite place would be osaka japan and favorite restaurant would be saison right here in the city is my favorite restaurant in the entire world
0: interesting I, i've been to osaka beautiful amazing place it's like a tokyo light just kind of get away from the craziness of tokyo but also have a bit of like country culture as well oh i think it's tokyo condensed oh do you
1: yeah, I, I mean, the food scene there and, like, just the craziest thing there is, like, you know, the Bari area and, like, going inside one of the shopping malls and, like, seeing that there's, like, 50 amazing restaurants. Yeah. It's kind of – it reminds me of the same reason I like Hong Kong. It's just convenient, and the food is amazing, and it's easy to access.
0: Yeah, I definitely. I actually visited uh, Stephen recently for the first time in Hong Kong. It was my first trip, and I, I had that experience for sure. Yeah, you never have to be outdoors if you don't want to. My wife kind of loves that. So what's a major key lesson that you learned from your startup experiences that you, know, you applied to your everyday life? You know, the most
1: valuable thing is, it's cliche, but it's like it feels like it builds character. There are no hard things, you know, after like running a struggling startup for many years, right? I talked to some of my founder friends who are now investors, right? And they tell me stories like, it's so stressful that you end up hospitalized, right? Like, you know, people probably don't talk about how mentally difficult it is. Mm -hmm. um, And getting used to it and coming out the other side, it just makes life a lot easier, and so that's the thing that I take away from it. It's just like there are things don't seem difficult anymore. you don't complain about anything, yeah, so you're a new dad, right?
0: yeah, uh, congratulations, number one. Thank you. <laughs> number two well, is that it's almost three now, so oh <laughs> relatively new within the last Rel- few years, yeah would you encourage uh encourage your kids to take part in the entrepreneurial journey? Oh,
1: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think and And it really doesn't matter if it's successful or not, right? like looking back, you know there are two things that I take away from the companies that have not none of my companies have gone public or are unicorns, right both have small acquisitions, but despite that, like would I do it again and again, like if I could go back in time? absolutely, you know it's not two things I take away from those two experiences. one is like you built together, you built a team that actually like working together and they're friends and they still talk about how awesome it is to work at the company that you founded right mm-hmm. like you change people's lives and uh that's still awesome right the serious business crew you know they still like get together every once in a while and that was you know almost 10 years ago now and people hey that's fairly recent but now they they want to come back to the company that we landed at. Um, so that's one big thing that I'll always find really rewarding. And the other big thing is, uh, it really does build character and it makes you grow a lot faster, right? Like if I wasn't doing a startup, I mean, right now I would be a PM at some large company somewhere. Right. And it does accelerate your career. You learn a lot more.
0: Absolutely. I completely agree. So I want to take this opportunity to give you the mic and give you an opportunity to plug anything that you like. Well, Postmates is awesome.
1: I really think we're building one of the best growth teams out there. We get a lot of support in the company and we are hiring. We're hiring for every position in product from growth to core. And it's a really unusually lean company, right? So when I joined Postmates, there was basically like a handful of engineers and 1 p.m. working on entire consumer product experience, right? Obviously, that team has grown substantially since uh, we joined, but it gives, still gives you a sense of the kind of impact that you have that you wouldn't have at, oh, I don't know, an Uber or Facebook. Like, you know, you people who join Postmates, they get to own a huge chunk of business, So we're hiring. You should check out Postmates and
0: uh, apply and work with us. Awesome. So as a huge fan of your work throughout the years and and of yourself as well, I'm really excited to see what you'll accomplish at Postmates and beyond. And I sense that there may be something uh, to look forward to from the startup world from you in the future. So thank you so much for sharing your story on the podcast today. And I really appreciate your time.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This has been great.
0: I enjoy telling these stories that uh, I really haven't told anyone before, so. Awesome! (laughs) This has been the Venture Forth Podcast with Siki Chen, VP of Growth at Postmates and founder and CEO of Hey! enjoyed today's show please subscribe to the venture forth podcast on itunes google play music stitcher or soundcloud you can also follow at venture forth pod on twitter for our latest updates as always i'm your host joe mahabutivani and thank you for listening to the venture forth podcast